Is Inter Miami destined to make the playoffs in 2022? Or is the team simply dreaming? Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Miami Total Football Radio, the number one and most listened to Inter Miami podcast, providing all the latest news, updates, analysis, opinions, inside information, general punditry, and much, much, much more. We have been listened to in more than 50 countries and counting. My name is Franco Panizo. I am one of your usual co-host. And before we get to anything, I want to apologize for the technical difficulties that we experienced last week. Steve El Primo Brenner was back in the house, his much-anticipated return, but as fate or as luck or as whatever you want to call it would have it, SoundCloud, where we host our podcast, had issues because it did not carry over to Apple Podcasts, where a lot of our listeners tune in from. There was some issue between SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts, some bug. It took more than a week for it to be resolved. I think that episode just now made it onto Apple Podcasts today, Wednesday of this week. So about a week or so without the show coming on. Obviously, it was still posted on YouTube. It was posted on Spotify and, and other places where you listen to the podcast. But unfortunately, did not make it out to Apple Podcasts until today. So if you missed El Primo's return, you can go back and listen to it. Obviously, the show's dated, but it might be worth listening to just to hear him come back on the podcast, talking about where he's been, and providing his usual English wit, humor, and analysis. So definitely check it out if you haven't and you're still interested in hearing what El Primo's whereabouts are as of right now. But El Primo is away yet again. But no worries, because we have Island Jose in the house a.k.a. PS5 Jose, a.k.a. Cinco, a.k.a. Jose Armando, a.k.a. I don't know how many more nicknames we have for you, but we have a lot of nicknames for you. Jose, how are you doing today? Good. I'm doing good. I'm happy to be back. I'm, I'm trying to recover after the two-and-a-half-hour rain delay that got me home around 3 a.m. So, yes, it's been a long day, but, yeah, I'm happy to be back in the pod and just ready to roll. Let's talk about last night really quickly because what time did you go to sleep? What time did you get home? What time were you able to unwind? And you, obviously you live in Miami, so you, you make the good hour-plus drive to Fort Lauderdale at Drive Bank Stadium. So what time was Jose Armando able to tuck himself in at night, put his head on the pillow, and close his eyes and get some rest? Uh, I would say around 3.15, 3.15, something like that. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really late. I usually go to bed really late as well, but, you know, it's not the same when you're just at home watching a movie or playing Call of Duty or, <laughs> you know, doing something, acting. It's not the same as, you know, working until that late. So it, it was exhausting. It was exhausting. It was the longest night that we've had at an Inter-Miami game so far because, listen, I've had long nights at... at Drive-Pink Stadium, where I've been the last one in the press box, where there's almost nobody else left in the stadium except for the remaining like cleaning people that are cleaning up the stadium, or you know the remaining security guards. So I've had many of those nights. I've had many nights where it's just Michelle and I left in the press box. So I've had many long nights at Drive-Pink Stadium, but this was certainly the longest. And and I booked it as soon as the interviews were over. Normally I stay and I and I'm on the laptop and I'm I'm you know uploading video and and pictures and. Uh, throwing out quotes and writing a story, I just booked it because it was one ish, one fifteen ish, 
when the game or when our post-game interviews ended. So we, we had to book it, as a lot of fans did. Obviously, it was a Tuesday night, and, you know, with the weather delay, which we will talk about in just a bit, obviously made for a, a very long, long, long night. But for Inter-Miami, it was a successful night because they were able to prevail. They were able to bounce back. They were able to end their three-game losing skid and put themselves within touching distance of a playoff spot with four games left in the year. We will talk about that on this podcast. Whether they have a really good chance of making the playoffs or whether those two points that sh- that there's that separate them right now is just a little bit of flattery is is a little bit of uh smoke and mirrors because maybe their chances are not that good. We will talk about that on this podcast. We will talk about the win over the Columbus Crew, a game in which, by the way, I love that, uh, I forget which English outlet noted this, but Gonzalo Higuain scored on two different days, technically speaking. He scored on Tuesday and he scored on Wednesday because he scored goals in both halves and they were obviously spread far apart. So definitely something that was a little bit noteworthy. I'm not sure if that's ever happened before in MLS history. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But anyway, we'll talk about that game. We're also going to talk about the loss to the Chicago Fire very quickly because between that game that happened on Saturday and this game on Tuesday, it was too quick of a turnaround for us to put out a pod on that uh, in that time frame. I was traveling back from Chicago. I did make the trip up there. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about how much pizza I ate later on. And of course, we are going to dive into all things Inter-Miami. Jose, we have a lot to talk about. Let's get to it. Okay, Jose, so we'll start with the most recent game. Football after dark. Football in la medianoche, bro. It was a memorable and unforgettable night at Drive Pink Stadium in Fort Lauderdale, Florida on Tuesday night slash Wednesday morning because Inter-Miami prevailed 2-1 to one against the Columbus crew thanks to two goals from Gonzalo Higuain. Columbus's lone goal came from Cucho Hernandez, so the two strikers for uh, the two starting strikers for the respective teams were on the score sheet. But this game was delayed two and a half hours, about approximately, due to a lightning delay at halftime. And we'll start there because obviously, all signs were pointing to the game being called off initially, and that's the word that made. Uh, rounds that I not, not not only I heard, but that I know that Inter Miami staff. That's what was being said that the game was off, and we saw signs of it. And we did a Twitter Space, you and I, and we were you know chronicling every second or every minute of the I don't know. I think we did it for an hour or so in between when it looked like the game wasn't going to happen to when it did actually continue and resume, and we saw the fans taking down their banners. It was. It looked very clear that the game was being postponed. But after a lengthy delay, after several conversations, the game resumed. Jose, let's just start there. What did you make of the overall lightning delay, the experience of that, not only for ourselves, but just in general, in terms of the game, in terms of the stadium, in terms of the attendance? What did you make of of it all? Well, you know, I think... It's. I think we're used to. If, I mean, if you've been covering sports in South Florida, you go back to the Marlins in Pro Player Stadium, um, Miami FC in FIU, 
um, the Fort Lauderdale Strikers at Lockhart. I mean, Randy Lays are are something to deal with here. Um, the Dolphins as well. I think they have a, a record for an eight-hour game. Um, it, it was it's 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 been crazy. Um, whenever rainy season comes by, you 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 come to expect every time you go out to a sporting event. But I thought last night, you know, it was unfortunate because you know for the people that went to the match thinking this is a big big matchup here, two teams fighting for one playoff spot. Um, I mean, if 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 you if if you went with the desire to watch. Uh, a big matchup, a, a, a very important game in the season for both teams, and you have to go home at, um, at, at the halftime mark, then that's really unfortunate for the fan that uh, bought a ticket and and drove over there. Um, so from that standpoint, I, I felt bad for the fans because most of them left. And, um, you know, as, as we were uh, thinking whether the, the match will be postponed or not, um, in, in in my heart, I always I always felt that you know Inter Miami, um, they they wouldn't agree easily to not finish that match last night just because you know they are the ones that are trying to come from behind and so they needed to rest today and they have a must win against uh, DC United over the weekend. So as long as it remains Inter Miami trying to come from behind, then I think they want to take as much time as they can to prepare games. And so that's the one thing that caught my attention. I said, I don't know if it's a good idea for Inter Miami to postpone this match and and, and play a second half on some other day, or or you know just tighten the schedule even more than what it is right now because of the Orlando game. So I don't know. I could be wrong. But I, I'm not even, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if there's a set MLS rule for, like, the amount of time that a game can be delayed before it has to be postponed. I don't know if that rule even exists. Could be a game-by-game scenario, a case-by-case scenario. It could be any type of thing. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's something that I'm unaware of with regards to that type of rule. But... If there's two and a half hours, and I, listen, I understand MLS is a league in the United States and Canada, so it's a league in a country or two countries that are very spread out. So it's harder to reschedule games, especially when you have one team traveling X amount of hours to another one via uh, a flight. So I get the desire to try to make a game finish on the night it's scheduled by any means necessary or by you know, as much as possible, so I get that. But you just made up a good point. You know, there are fans that went to this game, that paid money for a ticket, that paid money for parking, and they saw half of the game. I think, and has you know, this is a separate talking point, but I think there needs to be an established rule by MLS. And, you know, it can be, it can be ample in terms of the amount of time that teams should be able to wait or that fans have to wait, but there should be a set rule. Like, it should not be a mystery that two and a half hours later, the game may or may not be played. And again, the word that I got from sources and from what we saw, what was clearly being seen, whether the team publicly communicated or not, was that this game was going to be called off. Now, they stuck with it, they stuck with it, they stuck with it, they wanted to play the game, get it in, and they did. And we will dive into the game in just a bit. But there needs to be a rule. 
I think by MLS for all teams across the league and across all types of weather delays or types of things like this, where after a certain amount of time, okay, the game's postponed. And that's it. And that way it's clear cut because leaving people in just mystery and just waiting for an official word and like, you know, just, I had a lot of text messages. I don't know about you, host. I had a lot of text messages from Inter-Miami supporters, from Inter-Miami followers that were at the stadium that were like, hey, any update? And all I could say was, officially, no update. What I'm hearing is that the game's off. That was initially. And people start, and not because of my, my, my comments, but people started leaving just in general, right? The stadium started emptying out as the night got, as we got deeper and deeper into the night. But the game was played. It was played very late. It went well past midnight. Not sure how many people in the, were left in the stadium. There weren't many. Not sure how many people tuned in on TV. There were not many. But I think there needs to be a rule. That's just my opinion. I think there needs to be a rule across the league for how long a game can be postponed. You want to make it two hours? Okay. You want to make it two and a half hours? Fine. If you want to make it three hours? Okay. Whatever. But there needs to be a rule in place because there are rules in places in other leagues and there's there's FIFA standards for delays and you know, if a game is, hasn't hit this certain minute, then it has to be replayed from the start. You were talking about it on the Twitter space that we did while we were watching the, you know, while we were watching everything unfold before our eyes, whether the game was going to be played or not. I just think there needs to be some more consideration. I get it. It's a difficult league to manage or to try to, to try to take everything into account because there's so many time zones, there's so many teams, there's to, so many different variables. But for the good of the spectators... There needs to be some decision. There needs to be some, you know, there needs to be a line that's drawn there. It can't just be like, all right, well, four hours later, all right, we're deciding now that we're going to try to play because the weather is better now. Like, that's just my opinion. That's just my opinion. But anyway, let's focus on the game because Inter-Miami won a very, very, very crucial game. Two goals from Gonzalo Higuain, who continues to tear it up during the second half of the season. Now, this was the lineup that Inter-Miami played with, or what they started with. Drake Callender in goal. He returned back in goal, replacing Nick Marsman, who is healthy but was on the bench. The back line consisted of DeAndre Edlin, Amema Bika, replacing the injured Damian Lowe, Ryan Saylor, Christopher McVeigh at left back. The midfield triangle that they started out with was Gene Mota as the six, Gregory a little bit further advanced, and Alejandro Pozuelo also advanced. And then the front three from right to left, Robert Taylor, Gonzalo Higuain, and Ariel Lasseter. Now Inter-Miami changed formations in this game, we'll get to that in a little bit, but nonetheless, just to talk about the overall match, Higuain with goals in the 25th and 82nd minutes, that was, uh, those were well, there was a Cucho Hernandez goal sandwiched in between that for the Columbus Crew in the 41st. So it was even until late, Inter-Miami finds a way to pull it out in the final minutes of regulation. Jose, your thoughts on Inter-Miami's victory? Well, I thought, you know, we had um, um, basically two games within one. And not only because of the rain delay, but because... Lightning delay, lightning delay, Jose, lightning delay, not rain delay. Lightning delay, all right. Um, Because of the way um, Inter-Miami approached the um, both halves. I think the first half, they were not as aggressive. They were very passive. And and I was talking to you in the press box, and um, 
and I told you, I see no sense of urgency in Inter Miami, and that that that's a big match for Inter Miami. I mean, that's you know when coaches when when you talk to coaches and and, and they tell you, well, we have like five finals to go, we have to win every single game, we have to be aggressive. I expected Inter Miami to put that wording on the field and show from the first minute. And maybe they did it the, for the, for, until the, from the first to the third minute of the game because they had two chances. But after that, they didn't have the ball. They didn't have a lot of possession. They didn't create a lot of opportunities. And they were not aggressive. So I did not like the first half. The second half, I think, you know, from from the whistle, you know, it was different. It was different. It was just like they 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 felt, you know, they felt free. They felt like, okay, we, we got to go and win this game. It doesn't really matter what they're going to do. We're going to take control. We're going to dictate the tempo of the game. We're going to be aggressive. And they showed something different in the second half. And when it didn't work, it was the coaching staff making decisions and being mo even more aggressive. And um, and and that's how they were able to, to create opportunities. And in the end... Um, they were able to find that that winning goal. So, first half, uh, I just uh, I just didn't like the way things were going in the first half because I I, I needed to see more from Inter Miami, and and what I needed to see is exactly what they did in the second half. I, I don't know if you agree with that, but I I thought the second half was a lot more um, of the style that a, a team that wants to be in the playoffs at this point that needs to win games needs to uh, to show for the full 90 minutes. So it did work this time, but it might not work um, away or it might not wor work against maybe teams like Orlando or Montreal. So, you know, it's it's a positive sign the second half, but that first half, if, if that happens again, um, it, it's something to think about. So you touched on a lot of interesting things. There are a lot of things that deserve to be talked about. Because I agree with you that the Inter-Miami we saw in the first half was completely different than the Inter-Miami we saw in the second half. I would say it like this. The Inter-Miami that we saw in the second half was the Inter-Miami that's been good during the last two months. Or for parts of the last two months. The Inter-Miami that we saw in the first half, despite the fact that they took the lead in the 25th minute off of a great counterattack. That Inter-Miami looked like the struggling Inter-Miami of much of this season. The, the kind of timid... You could say scared. Scared into Miami that was defending and not really taking too many chances and not really taking too many risks. They were back in, in, in being very organized and I won't say they were parked in the bus, but they were definitely in a defensive shell and trying to stay compact and looking to hit on the counter. The second half, when it was one-to-one -one and they had to push and they had to look for the go-ahead goal, they could no longer just sit back for 45 minutes because if they did... Columbus was probably just going to knock it around and not take too many chances, and they were going to try to see the game out and take a draw because the draw for Columbus was a good result, was a very good result in terms of the, the table and the standings. We'll get to updating you guys on that in just a moment. So Inter Miami was forced, right, based on circumstance, to have to look for the goal and have to push the tempo and try to take more risks. And that's what I think Inter Miami this season the best Inter Miami or the best version of Inter Miami that we've seen this season, and I'm not saying it's it's not I'm not saying it's flawless, but the best version of Inter Miami we've seen in 2022 is when they play like that, 
when they take risks, when they push forward, when they leave spaces in behind, but they say to heck with it, we're going to throw numbers into the opposing team's defensive half and we're going to overload them and we're going to have the numerical advantages and we're going to impose ourselves on them. When that's the Inter-Miami that we see, I think that's the best Inter-Miami that this version, that this group, that this roster can be. When it's the other version, yes, they took the lead in the first half, but they did not play well in that first half. And one-to-one, I thought was fair overall. The Columbus crew were the better team in that first half, but they weren't all that dangerous. Inter-Miami did a decent job defensively. They gave up the one shot that hit the post in the first half, and then they gave up the goal. Besides that, not a whole lot that the Columbus crew generated from the run of play. But still, to win, you have to score, right? And Inter-Miami needs to score, and they need to win to make up ground and reach the playoffs. So that second half, that's the Inter-Miami that I think we need to see. That is the, that You have to take those chances. And look, if you give up a goal and you fall behind because the defense makes a mistake, you have to live with that. You have to live with that. I think you have to live with that. Because I think that is the best chance you have of winning games. I think it's the best chance of trying to make the playoffs. The, the other version, the defensive version, the pragmatic version, the look-to-just-counter version... I don't think that that's going to work. And I don't think it worked. And look, Phil Neville noted it after the game. And I think, look, it's good. It's good that he that he says it. But it's also good for us to talk about it. If his initial game plan, because he did say in his post-game press conference that the 4-3-3 that he started the game in, he had to switch it to a 4-2-3-1 before finishing the game in a 4-4-2 diamond setup. If your 4-3-3, your initial 4-3-3, does not work and you have to switch to a 4-2-3-1. It's great that you can recognize that and great that you read that in the game and you can make that adjustment. But that means that your initial game plan did not work or was not working. So everything that you had worked on, not everything, a lot of what you have worked on in the week or in the days leading up to that game, because again, short turnaround, so two days, not a whole lot of training session, but what you've worked on was for not because now you're changing out of it to try to adjust. And yes, a game can play out a certain way, the other team can surprise you, but... That's why you have time to prepare. You try to prepare and get the best game plan from the start. Now, Phil Neville adjusted, and Inter-Miami was better. So, 100%. Kudos to Phil Neville and his staff for recognizing that. Kudos to Inter-Miami as a team for being able to implement that more attacking style. I think that's what they need to stick with. I think that's the way to go. I don't don't think we need to see a defensive mind Inter-Miami anymore. Like, unless they're trying to scrap... You know, unless they're trying to claw to to victory in the final minutes, I don't think we need to see that Inter Miami anymore. I this season, I just don't. I just that's just my opinion. Jose, do you have anything to add to that, or should we just dive into Gonzalo Higuain because the man is on fire? I'll let you choose. Go back to the game or switch to Gonzalo. No, let's talk about Gonzalo because I think he deserves. You know, um, at this point, I think. Um, you know, I always expected him to be a part of of this team in the um, in the um, in the last few months of the season. I thought they they would need him to perform at some point, but to be honest, I didn't expect for him to score so many goals. It's, and and especially last night, you know, 83rd minute, if I'm not mistaken. If you're thinking Gonzalo Higuain, 83rd minute, most people will count him out or or will want him out of the game at that point, right? Um, because there's there's a sense that Higuain will play 
for you 65, 70 minutes. But I think he showed last night something, you know, that, that he brings to the table. And it's not evident every single game. And that's having the quality inside the box to finish at the, the, the most important time. And, and that's what he showed last night. I was very impressed by the way he finished. Obviously, something that he has been able to do throughout his career. But nonetheless, it's not an easy finish at all. And so, um, yeah, I think it deserves... I, I think people want to listen more about him. Although, um, I think a lot of people have to admit that they, they did count him out a few weeks ago. <laughs> a few weeks ago or like, you know, a few months ago. He, he's, been, he's, been, he's been red hot for a little bit now. He's, he's got 10 goals in his last 12 appearances for Inter Miami. He is, you could say arguably... Single-handedly, the reason why Inter Miami is in this playoff push. He is giving you, at this point, top DP-level production. Top DP-level production. Something he has not always been able to give Inter Miami. 10 goals in 12 games is probably his best... His best. It's not, I wouldn't even say probably. It is his best run of form since he signed with the team in 2020. This is his best run of form. He scored, I think, 12 or 13 goals last year, but that came over the course of... Uh, of an entire season. Here, he has scored the bulk of his goals. He has 12 this season. He has scored 10 in the last 12 matches. And he is red hot. And he is... He looks like he has turned back the clock. And also, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that you did not give me stick. Because in July, in that game against Dallas, I did say that I think he was done. That I did not see him being able to provide much more. And although I did note, you know, to be fair to me, <laughs> I did note that Maybe the heat in Dallas in the middle of July, you know, that could have impacted him as he because he was coming, he was because he was coming back from not playing a whole lot. So I did note that, but I did think that from what we had seen up until that point in the season, that there just there wasn't much more he was going to give. There was not much more, and but he has. He's proven me wrong, one hundred percent. I can acknowledge it. No problem with that. Gonzalo Higuain has turned back the clock, and is is regardless of how the season finishes, man. I think he's going out on a high. And, you know, there's there's a lot of talk and a lot of whispers of if is this is his last season as a professional. I think it is. I think you also share that belief. We heard earlier in the year that his dad said that he was going to, Gonzalo Higuain was going to retire at season's end. Gonzalo Higuain came out and said there was a misunderstanding there. But there's a lot of signs pointing to Gonzalo Higuain retiring. That said, now, here's, the, here's the question. Go for it. Go here's for the it. question, though. Has he done enough for Inter Miami to think about bringing him back now. Obviously, no. not a DP contract. No. But no. has he he's done not, enough? First of all, he's not coming back if he's not a DP. Like He's, he's got to get paid handsomely. I don't think Osali Guayin is going to... Like, listen, he can be... He said it yesterday in the press conference. He had the humility to take a substitute role earlier this Which year. Which is true. Campana. That, that's fine. No, 100%. I'm not disagreeing with this? that. But I yes. don't think he's going to have the humility to go from making, you know, five plus million to being like, well, now I make one million or less. Like, that's, I just don't see that. I just don't see that happening. And well, look, I, 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 and this is not inside information, not inside information, Jose, pero, pero, even as red hot as he is right now, like, there's still, like, like there is with any player, there's still flaws in his game, especially at this advanced stage in his career. He does not press a whole lot. He cannot give you a whole lot from the defensive side of things. A younger forward probably can. They can hustle a little bit more. They can give you more energy. They can give you more work rate. And if you have it, if you open up, if you free up that DP slot, then I think, you know, you could get maybe similar goal scoring production 
while also maybe getting a bit more from other aspects of play. Now, obviously, Gonzalo going with the ball at his feet, and when he's motivated and when he's playing like this, very hard to, to match that production. But over the course of a season, especially given that he's at an advanced stage in his career, I don't think they bring him back. I think, I think regardless, this will be his last season in the pink and black. That's just my opinion. Not inside information. Not inside information. I would say yes. I would say yes. He has done enough for the team to think, because that's the question. Just to think about it. Find, try to find a way. Obviously, you know, if the team is better next year, which is something to be determined, um, he might not have a lot of minutes, and that might be something that he will think of. Or, you know, just the idea of him wanting to play one more year. Um, being in South Florida, he's obviously very comfortable here. He has talked about it about that a, a lot. He's very comfortable here. People don't don't bother him as much as any other places in the world where he played. So he's very comfortable. So I think it's going to come down to whether he wants to play one more year. Let's say final game of the season. And um, what is he thinking at that point? Is he thinking, maybe I can go one more year? Jose. And then, and then maybe the team can entertain the idea because he has done enough. Now, Jose. I can ask. Has Campana done enough for the team to, to think about bringing him back next year? Jose, see. Think up no, 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 hold on. No, no, see, Jose, upside, see. Upside is different. The upside is pretty clear. Campana is very young. And Iwain is towards the end of his career. He might make the right decision retiring. But the, the question is about thinking, the team thinking. No, no. About bringing them no. back next year. No, because as good as Gonzalo Iguain is right now, as well as he's playing, this is still just, in the bigger picture of his tenure with Inter Miami, it's still just a shorter part of two and a half years, right? Like, it's taken a lot for him to get to this point. Will you have the same, will he have the same motivation next year? Would he even want to come back? Like, I, I think, you know, just being like, all right, yeah, it's time for Inter Miami to think about it. Will Gonzalo Higuain take that pay cut? I don't think so. I don't think so. But, and again, I don't, I think, nope. I think, I think the team is That's ready, but I think the team is ready to, to turn the page. I think that they're... That's just my sensation. Again, not inside information. I just think the team's ready to turn the page and, and get a DP striker that can score around the same amount of goals. Let's, let's, let's not say Gonzalo Higuain has also scored a ton of goals uh, each season, right? Last year he had 12 or 13. This year he's at 12. So it's not like he scored a ton of goals. He's, not, he has not, he's never had a season in MLS where he scored 20-plus goals, which we've seen from... From some of the top DP productive or top DP players that are that are producing, um, so I think on the balance yeah, of things, and he's a year, and he's a, a, but he he'll be a year older again. Is the motivation the same, etc. Et so I, I just don't think. I think this is it. I think these last four games, and if they make the playoffs, I think this is it for Gonzalo Wayne in an Inter Miami jersey. And I'll share this. I'll share this with you and the listeners. And I, I may have shared this before, maybe not. I had a. 20-minute sit-down interview with him in preseason when I was working on a piece for the Sun Sentinel. And at the end of the interview, I asked him about whether he would stay involved in, in soccer and football after his time was done as a player. And he told me flat out, no. He said, no, no. I'm like, So I think, I think he's at the end of his leash. And he said something in the post-game press conference yesterday on, when, on Tuesday, excuse me. Oh, I guess it was Wednesday because <laughs> it was uh, past midnight. But he did something about like finding the joy to play again during this second half of the season. 
Because I asked him, you know, what's changed for Gonzalo Higuain from the second half of the season to the first half of the season? He went into a, a, a very good response about how, you know, he wasn't playing, now he's playing. Um, he also found that joy again. So that if he found that joy again, he didn't have that joy in that first half of the season. And if you're going to count on Gonzalo Higuain, just, just having... Of, listen, of course, every player wants to play. Every player wants to play. Every player is happier playing than not playing. I understand that. But... If you only get the best out of Iguain when things are going in his favor, well then, on the when you're really analyzing that and you're really taking stock of that, if you're Chris Henderson, if you're Phil Neville, I mean, then, yes, he's playing well right now. Enjoy it, take take it, you know, take full advantage of it, capitalize on that. But I think I don't think that they bring him back. I don't even think that they really think about it too much. Like unless unless he's willing to take a massive, massive, massive pay cut, which I just and, and is okay with being a. Uh, spot starter next year, which means he comes off the bench often. I just, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. But anyway, let's switch gears to something else involving Gonzalo Higuain. And I was so happy, thank the heavens, that I was able to ask the question in the press conference about the trash talkers that he has had. There was one on Columbus Crew, Jonathan Mensah. There was one on the Chicago Fire, Fabian Herbers. Players that have publicly come out and been critical of Gonzalo Higuain on the last two opposing teams Inter Miami has faced. Now. Jonathan Mensah's comments were much more recent and not so pointed. They were more, uh, you know, criticisms about his play on the field. Fabian Herbers, back after week one, after the start of the season, he came out on a podcast and ripped into Higuain, had a lot of choice words for him. I was able to ask Higuain about both of those players' comments. He responded, again, very eloquently, very professionally, and I thought it was one of his best quotes of the press conference on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. And that he, you know, there was a lot of we could a lot of a lot of stuff we could pick from what he said, but essentially he was like, you know, I do my talking on the field. You saw that Jonathan Mensah got injured when he was fighting for a 50-50 with me. You know, whatever they say, there's nothing personal. You know, I have nothing personal against them. They can say whatever they want. Everyone's allowed to have their opinion. But clearly you could tell that he was aware of their comments. Clearly he knew what Jonathan Mensah said. Clearly he knew what Fabian Herbers had said. Did that motivate him? Did that motivate him? He scored him. He scored in these two games. Did that did that motivate him? Yes or no, Jose? Uh, honestly, no. Oh come so. on, brother! Come on, yes, no way, no way. I a hundred percent think that that motivated him. A hundred percent. I'm a hundred percent. Come on, man. Come on. I mean, he he has played at the highest level. He's gonna listen to the top players talk about him. I mean, he's he. That Phil actually showed him the, you know, maybe the article. I don't know what it was. Yeah, it was an article with a quote. Um, we will share with that in the Q&A session because we have a question directly about that. We won't talk about it here because we don't want to uh, be redundant. So we will save it for the Q&A session. So stay tuned for the Q&A session if you want to hear exactly what Jonathan Mensa said. It might have been motivation for the rest of the team, but not for Gonzalo. I mean, Phil. No like, way, it's, man. It, it's it's fair game for Gonzalo to, I mean, for Phil to use that quote to motivate the rest of the team to, you know, be good teammates and and play well with effort for for Gonzalo, but no, I mean, no, absolutely no. I mean, listen, I was watching um, this afternoon the the Figo uh, documentary on Netflix, and you know the things that players at that level go through. It's it's just unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. And having Mensa talk about Gonzalo Higuain after 
Gonzalo, what Gonzalo went through in the after the World Cup in the final, missing opportunities. Are you kidding me? He, is he going to care? What yes, Mensa. yes, he is going to care. Yes, absolutely, because he's a human being. He will care. I, listen, I'm not saying, Jose, I'm not saying Gonzalo Higuain is restless at night, you know, tossing and turning in his sheets over what Jonathan Mensa and Fabian Herbers said about him. That, that, I'm not saying that at all. But does it give him a little added incentive on the field when he sees that player lined up next to him? Does that give him a little bit added juice when he goes into a 50-50? I think so. As a human being, absolutely. You see that person that said something about you, and you're going to be like, all right, let's see. Now We're, we're about to see if I'm as bad as you think, or we're, we're about to see if I don't run as much as you think. And look, when he said the little comment about, oh, well, Mensa got injured going for a 50-50 with me, which is completely factual, and it's you know wild and crazy how how the game unfolds or how life can unfold like that, that Mensa, who talked trash the day before, or wasn't talk. I wouldn't even say talk trash. Fabian Herbers talked trash. Jonathan Mensa did not talk trash. He analyzed the game and talked about a, uh, a point in the game that he thinks is a weakness for Higuain. So I won't say it was talking trash. I think it was him analyzing a weakness in one of his opponents. And he said it publicly so it can be taken as a shot. Fine. But the fact that, that Higuain made a point to be like, well, when we went into that 50-50, that's when he got injured... Listen, to me, I'm like, all right, well, Iguain clearly is like, ha, so there you go. So, so that's what you get for talking. Like, that's that's how I interpreted that. Now, that's just me. You can interpret it however you want. But I think he was uh, clearly he was aware of both comments that were made. And I do think it added some some incentive, some added zest into his motivation well, and- to both games. That does not mean... That that's the reason why he scored two goals. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not saying any of that. But I do think that it, it gave him a little bit more of a fire in his tummy. I won't say belly before the jokes start happening, but a little bit fire in his tummy. Um, it going into these two games. So that that you know he, that's just me. He obviously talked about it because he scored two goals and and won that one v one run with with Mensa. Hey, he talked I about mean, it because I asked. If I didn't ask, that, he's not bringing that up. Right, but if, if if that didn't happen, if and and you ask him the same question, he he might not even you know he he would say he didn't care about it, but he he basically won the night after the comment the comments. So I uh, I don't know I don't know, maybe a a two percent incentive. That's fine. Hey, two percent is two percent, my friend. Two percent is two percent. <laughs> you would you take a two percent increase or would you take a two percent raise right now if someone offered you that? Absolutely, you would. Absolutely you would. So, all right. Let's quickly touch on a couple other topics regarding this game, and then we'll close it out, and then we'll switch gears to the fire, or the game against the fire. And that is that Leonardo Campana, the other Inter-Miami striker, he made his return from injury in this game, and Inter-Miami played, for the first time, a diamond formation, a 4-4-2 diamond. You could call it a 4-1-2-1-2, but it's a 4-4-2 with just a diamond shape in that midfield now, there was a lot of substitutions that were made. Bryce Duke came in there to to help make up that diamond. And, and there's a lot to talk about from this game because Phil Neville also was very aggressive in his substitutions. Clearly, he was going for it. He was pushing and looking for a goal, trying to get the win, trying to get the three points that were vital, especially after the weekend defeat. But let's focus on Campana. Let's focus on the diamond formation. Jose, what did you see from Campana? And what do you think about that diamond formation? Because Phil Neville said in the press conference, and you can take it for whatever it's worth, that at some point during these last four games, oh, yes. they're going to have to find ways to get Gonzalo Higuain and Leonardo Campana on the field at the same time. And at the diamond formation, he insinuated that that's, that's 
one way to go about it. So your thoughts on Campana returning, your thoughts on the 4-4-2 diamond, and whether we see that again during these last four games of the season. Well, first, I would say this, and I don't know if you agree. I hear you smiling. I hear you smiling. So I feel like you're about to nerd out on some diamond formation talk. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Uh, What I'm I'm going to say is that um, I think Phil made a mistake. Really? In in saying publicly that, um, you know, using the diamond, it's part of a plan moving forward. Because if, if, if I'm Wayne Rooney... And I'm preparing for this game. And um, then I know exactly what Inter-Miami is going to do. Right? I know what's the plan. But they're not going to start the game like that. Right? I, I, I don't no, see but, that. But I know what could happen. You know? I, obviously, looking at the starting lineup, then you have an idea of what they're going to do. And then you know what's plan B. Because he clearly said it right so you, you know you know how to counteract or counter rest what they're what they might do which is which you right. can, which you can prepare for fine but Jose, right. like, let's 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 take a let's take a full picture here and i'm gonna, I'm gonna interrupt you just to take a full picture because let's let's be fair or, or let's take you know a, a bigger picture look at this phil neville i think is a great public speaker like a great talker in press conferences he's something he's someone that always gives you something to chew on gives you a good quote i think he's 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 great in that aspect but if you really go and look overall at the season it's not like everything he says is gospel you know some of the things he says he's a smart man he knows he's worked in media right he's worked in media so he knows and understands probably better than most coaches out there how things in the media can be consumed and how they can be absorbed especially by other coaches there's been times where he has said things this season that actually don't come out to fruition at all. Between the Chicago Fire game, or right after the Chicago Fire game, and before this Columbus Crew game, Phil Neville said, you know, they're going to have to look at Emerson Rodriguez, Victor Ulloa, Mayma Bika. He named a bunch of different players because he was talking about freshness and needing freshness in the team. Did we see a right. whole lot of freshness in this team on Tuesday night from what we that, saw on, on he, Saturday? The diamond formation was real yesterday. But, wait, but freshness, he was talking about energy and tired legs and, and getting uh, fresher players out there. And we didn't see that. We saw Amema Bika replace Damian Lowe, who's injured. And we saw Ariel Lasseter come in for Indiana Vasilev. And that, I think that had to do more with production and rendimiento, like level of performance, than it had to do with freshness. So... Listen, Phil Neville did say that, and I would agree with you that I think it was honest and sincere. I do think that four, four, the four four two diamond formation is something he has up his sleeve, and I do think maybe he 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 let it slip a little bit there that that's something that they might turn to. But it could easily be that they never turn to that again because you know Phil Neville's just trying to bluff and throw other people other teams off. It's not it's not out of the realm of possibility. I'll just put it this way: if they end up playing at some point. During the week in the dam information, Wayne Rooney has no excuse, right? Because he he basically um, from the press conference yesterday yesterday, and I know it was late, but I'm sure Wayne Rooney already um, listened to that. Uh, I mean, he should be ready for the dam information. Let, let's just say that. Um, the other thing, you know, Campana, I think it's not necessarily about performance, but about staying on the field for 30 minutes. I think that's the goal for Campana. Obviously, you know, you needed to score 
uh, in the game yesterday. And um, if he would have scored that goal, obviously that's a confidence booster and, and so many things. But I don't think we can demand a lot from him, especially you know in a in a in a game after a rain delay and and so many things coming back. So I think it's about the 30 minutes, and that's mission accomplished for him. And you know, starting uh, on on Sunday then I think we can start to evaluate a little bit more what, what he needs to do. Obviously, he needs to contribute because at some point, you know, I would say it's going to be really, really hard for Inter-Miami to to make the playoffs uh, with only Gonzalo Wayne scoring. So uh, Leo Campana needs to become an option as quickly as possible. He needs to score goals. And um, but yeah, I think the performance yesterday was just just okay. I think it was just about getting him on the field quickly. Quickly, do you agree with me that he looked every bit a player coming back from injury during his cameo? Which is understandable, but sometimes players come back from injuries and and their first game back, they they look razor sharp and they score a goal and they they have a decisive moment. Did you agree with me that he looked every bit a player that's coming back from an injury? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I think it was last night. I think it was all effort. You know, it's it's he. It was about him running a lot, finding running. finding his touch again, finding his rhythm again. Right. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Okay. And as for the diamond four four two formation, even though I, you know, I, I I try to give the benefit of the doubt that you know maybe Phil's bluffing or you know just like the possibility that Phil's bluffing. I agree with you. I think that four four two is is in the cards for another look down the stretch. By the way. Jorge Mas and Jose Mas both entered the press conference room on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. I don't think I've ever seen that before in Inter Miami's history, where where they both entered the press conference room, and and, and it, it threw Phil Neville off for just a slight second while he was answering, and he looked over to the right and he saw Jorge Mas. It like threw him off his thought, his train of thought, and then he like got back on track. But interesting that the Mas brothers came into the press conference room uh, after an eventful night, an eventful night. I would say usually they they might have guests, you know, people that you know are in the stadium that they want to talk to after the game, and probably last night everybody left. (laughs) There was there was nobody. There was nothing. So you're saying is that they joined us in the media room because there was nothing else for them to do. That's what that's what you're saying. No, yeah. So let's let's just go check things out and see how they do. Okay, I I was going to ask you what you what you take away from their presence there, but okay, that you just gave me the answer. Okay, all right, quickly. Quickly, let's touch on two goals, and we're going to debate, but let's do it very quickly, Jose, because we're going long, and we still have to talk about the Chicago Fire game and the playoff outlook. Okay, very quickly. Inter-Miami's goal that they scored, the first goal, the first goal, because the second goal, you already touched on it. Gonzalo Higuain scores a hard shot to the near post after a nice feed from Pozuelo. You could say Eloy Room should do a better job of covering his near post, but nonetheless, we've talked about it a little bit. Very quickly, you were raving about a certain movement on the initial goal, the opener, Gonzalo Higuain's goal in the 25th minute. What was that movement? What did you love about that goal? Share it with the people. It's it's Ari Lassiter. I mean, it's a beautiful run. Moving without the ball, to me, is just a, a big part of the game. And when I saw that immediately, I reacted and said, yes, there it is. Because, you know, it, it's, it's how... Uh, Lasseter thought about the the play even before getting the ball. He ran into space. It was after that an easy ball for for Robert Taylor, and um, ah, and, and okay. the, the biggest part for me is that you know Lasseter was able to recognize, hey, we have a a, a striker in form, top finisher. Let me just give him the ball. 
and have him finish this play. And, and I'm not going to mess things up here. And making that decision as well, because he could have very easily taken the shot on goal, but he makes the decision to make the pass, the extra pass to Gonzalo Higuain, and it's an easy finish for him. But I think the goal, uh, Leicester should get a lot of credit. That's a real assist. Unfortunately, it was the end of the season. I'm not going to think a lot about assists because, because of the secondary assist. But I will remember this one. I think he gets he should get a lot of credit. So he gets seventy five percent of the goal in your opinion. That's what it sounds like. I I, I could give him seventy five percent now because Gonzalo Higuain just yeah. had, had to acompañar la jugada. He just had to accompany the play, and then he had to finish. That's right, right, him. right. That's and he's got he doesn't have any pressure, and he's got a he's got a lot of space, a lot of the goal to shoot at. So you know, player of his quality and his caliber, you know, it's it's uh it's a relatively easy finish for Gonzalo Higuain. I, I I'm with you. Ariel Lasser deserves a lot of the credit. For that goal, because he runs from one penalty area to the other in a space of a few seconds, and he recognizes the open space and the ability to hit in transition. I don't know if it's the easiest pass that you because you said it was an easy pass for Robert Taylor or you said something along those lines. I don't know if I agree with that because we have seen we have seen plenty of players not put the correct amount of weight on the ball. Like, right? Like, they mishit the pass, they underhit it, they overhit it. You see that especially a lot in MLS where the weight of the ball, the weight of the pass is, is not the right one. And he let Lasseter uh, continue his run, continue his forward momentum. He hit him in stride. So, Taylor deserves a good bit of credit as well. He will get a secondary assist by MLS standards, which we loathe, despite the fact that it's a, I think it's a, it's a good pass. But that play is... Ariel Lasseter's bread and butter. Open space, use your speed, and become a threat. I did think he took one touch too many when he was dribbling forward. I think he, should, he could have played it to Higuain one touch sooner. But nonetheless, he's able to get it to him and Higuain scores. Heck of a goal. A lot of credit for Lasseter on that one. Taylor and Higuain also get some credit as well. But Lasseter, I think, gets most of the credit. Uh... Medio gol, or más de medio gol, tres cuartos de gol are his. More than half that goal's credit belongs to Ariel Lester. Okay, and very quickly, the equalizer that Inter Miami gave up, because we debated this and we analyzed this, I tweeted about this, we went uh, at it for a good while, a few of us in the press box. Who shoulders the responsibility on the equalizing goal, Jose? We are going to disagree here unless you've had a change of heart overnight. So, who shoulders the blame on the equalizing goal that Cucho Hernandez scores? It's a bouncing header at the back post. In the 41st minute. I don't think we're going to fully disagree. Because um, wh- what you're going to demand from, from Gregory would be communication. And I think you would agree. Hey, hey, hey. Don't, that, don't be uh, diving into my argument yet. I asked you what you think. The, some of these some of these listeners have not did not hear the space. Some of these listeners did not hear the Twitter space. So you're jumping ahead. That's true. All right. So what I'm saying is that, you know, Mavika ne- ne- needs to, to make that play. You know, he's taller. I mean, I think he makes a bad read. Cucho right behind him, or, or next to him, I should say, not behind him because he was behind Gregory. And um, I think Gregory makes a good run to the middle. Um, obviously, Sailor is the left center back. He's not very well positioned, but very close to where he needs to be. And he's not a factor in the play because, you know, the ball goes over him. And that's Mavika's ball as the right center back. As he moves back, he makes a a terrible read. Um, Kucho makes a a good move as well, stops his run, takes a step back, makes a good read on the ball, 
gets the header, bounces the ball, goes in. I think, you know, it's it's on Mavica. I think it's on Mavica. You would say otherwise. Go ahead. I think Mavica and Gregory shoulder responsibility there. And I'm not saying, you know, if I really had to analyze it and really try to divvy up the percentage of responsibility there, I, it's a tough challenge. It's a tough exercise. Because, yes, Mabika ball watches. But so does Gregory. And you you were arguing yesterday that Gregory got, you know, he did the right thing tactically by getting into his central position in the penalty area to try to thwart some danger in case a ball is played there. And then Mabika does need to cover Kucho. And I agree with that. But Mabika is a professional player that has, I don't know, less than probably 20 first-team appearances. And Gregory is the team captain and a more experienced and more seasoned and more veteran player. He needs to communicate to the young center back, hey, I'm releasing the mark. You have to pick him up. That there's no communication, to me, is a massive breakdown. Now, they're not the only two responsible there. Ariel Lasseter, for all we have raved about him on the opening goal, he was dribbled by like a traffic cone on the on Inter-Miami's left flank, which is where the cross comes from. So that's where the initial breakdown comes from. Then Christopher McVeigh, who's clearly not a natural left back, but is playing left back again, or has been playing left back and did, did so again in this game, he does not put a lot of pressure on the cross. Like, it, someone that has a little bit more speed probably closes down the cross and, and makes that attempt a little bit more intensely or more aggressively. But, but Christopher McVeigh, because he's slower, because he's a center back, he holds up. And to try to make sure that nobody rounds him, right? Like no one, less uh, pique, no one sprints by him with a quick burst of uh, acceleration. So he, he kind of holds his ground as opposed to maybe coming out harder to, to challenge the cross. So there are other breakdowns in the goal, like there are in most goals. There's multiple breakdowns. But I think the biggest one comes from both Gregory and Mabika. They're both caught ball watching, they don't communicate, and Gregory is the captain. Gregory is the experienced one. He has to communicate more so than Mabika. Yes, they both need to talk. They both need to be on the same page as part of chemistry. But Gregory is the one that shoulders more of that responsibility in terms of the communication. Now, in terms of the goal and divvying up responsibility there, I think it's a tough exercise. Uh, I think it's I think it's fairly even. I think it's fairly even. I, you know, There's no way. There's no way. This is where I have a problem with your analysis because, I mean, you're demanding communication from Gregory. And even if Gregory would have shouted several times to Mavika, you got to pick him up. That doesn't guarantee that he's going to pick him up. But it raises the chances that he's going to pick him up, right? It raises the chances he's picking him up. It's not a guarantee. What makes it a guarantee is if Mavika is well-positioned and properly attacks that ball. That's that's, that's the thing. If if he's well-positioned and and he's able to get a, a glimpse of a touch on that ball, then there's no goal. There's no goal. There's I mean, he no definitely goal. he definitely misreads the, the the cross and 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 misreads the height of the of the ball coming in and definitely doesn't mark Cucho Hernandez. So I, I agree with all that. I agree with all that. But again, Amey Mabika, even though he did very poorly on that play, and I thought he bounced back in the second half despite looking a little bit nervy at times, a little bit shaky at times. You know, I I still think he held up well in the second half. He bounced back, but yeah. Clearly, he needed to do better there, but I think Gregory could have also helped his teammate there. You know, there, they, there's in all sports, they say there's players that make their teammates better. Gregory needed to help make his teammate 
better on that sequence, and I don't think that he did. And I think that when you know Inter Miami looks at that, and when they analyze it, and when they're like, all right, what could we have done better there? I think communication is absolutely, absolutely something that Phil Neville and the staff will will address, or that would they would talk to the players about. But anyway, by the way, by the way, I mean we we cannot be a hundred percent sure that Gregory didn't say anything. I mean, we would have. You don't see him ever look. You just see his. Listen, you're right. We can't. No. I can't say whether he mouthed, "Hey, I am ma, pick him up." We we don't know that for sure. For sure. you're you're 100 yeah. spot on. But it doesn't look like they communicate from what you can see from the play and on the replay. What we know for sure is that Mavica didn't get to the ball. <laughs> well, we know Gregory also just released the mark, and yeah, there was yeah. I mean, it, you, I don't see communication. And by the way, Mavica's played. 13 games in MLS over two seasons. He started 11 times. Clearly, young players make mistakes. You have to help them along the way. I I, I think Gregory definitely has some some responsibility there, more than you're saying that he does. But anyway, all right, let's switch let's switch gears very quickly to the other game that Inter Miami played between the last time we had a pod, and that was against the Chicago Fire. Inter Miami lost that game three to one. John Duran scored a brace. Sheridan Shakiri scored for the Chicago Fire. The lone goal for Inter Miami came from Gonzalo Higuain off a penalty in the 77th minute. So to recap, the Chicago Fire got off to a 2-0 lead in this one. Gonzalo Higuain made it 2-1 with his spot kick. Made it interesting. Made for some, you know, maybe they could pull it out. Maybe they could get a result. But Duran scores off of a counterattack in the final minutes. And that ices it. I thought it was a deserved result. From the balance of play, because Inter Miami had a nightmare of a game, an atrocious match, did not look at all like the team we saw in the second half of that game against Columbus. This was the and the Inter Miami side that again I'm referring to when I say that it looked like the early season Inter Miami where they just struggle, where they don't look like they have any real clear idea of how to attack. Now this was the lineup that Inter Miami came out with. 4-2-3-1, Nick Marsman in goal. DeAndre Edlin, Christopher McVeigh, Ryan Saylor, and Kieran Gibbs were the back four. Gregory and Gene Mota, the first line of the midfield. The uh, second line of the midfield, Indiana Vasilev, Alejandro Pozuelo, Robert Taylor. And up top, Gonzalo Higuain. You could say maybe it was a 4-3-3 to start. My memory's a little bit hazy on that. But nonetheless, despite having Pozuelo back in the lineup, Inter Miami looked like a shell of itself, and it lost. I think deservedly so. Phil Neville said that as well, that he didn't think Inter Miami deserved to get anything out of that game because of how poorly that they played. Chicago Fire, which were, which are and were going into that Saturday night match, underneath Inter Miami in the Eastern Conference standings, they looked like the superior team, the way they knocked the ball around, the way they, the Inter Miami just did not pose much of a threat at all. So... What did you think of the performance and the result very quickly, Jose? How do you explain uh, that? How do you explain that performance? Is it poor game plan? Is it just the road woes? Is it the mentality? What what do you what do you pin that on? Let's just go, let's go there. How about that? I, I think I think the break didn't didn't help them at all. I think the the, the ten day it was it ten days? Yes, ten yeah, days. Right. The ten day break, I don't think it I don't think that helped them at all. I I, I would agree with um, with Phil, I, I listened to to the press conference um, after the game. The comments about, you know, obviously he was not very happy. He thought about the team being fresh, but I thought in terms of uh, you know the dynamics of the team, the rhythm that they usually um, show during that stretch in which they were winning games, 
I think they lost that and and um and they didn't show it against against the fire and and, and I was surprised and, and on our WhatsApp um a group chat I I I asked you guys like what what happened what's what's going on why is this team not not showing that energy that you know that that's something that became consistent in in, in the last month and a half maybe two months um, it, w- it was not there. I, I just, I just couldn't get my head around of uh, what was going on, and, and they were never able to to pick it up. And 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 not to get ahead, but I think that's that's the game that will be a difference maker towards the end of the season in yeah, terms of ma- well, making it, the playoffs. It was, it was a big loss. It was a big loss because after that game, I started having, I, I did travel for this game, the first road game outside of the... Well, no, that's not true, because I did go to Atlanta last season. But uh, besides Orlando City games and uh, an Atlanta United game, this is, like, one of the few games I've traveled to over the past few years since the pandemic. The, one of the few road games I've traveled to. So I, I, I took it in with a lot of the traveling supporters, a lot of from uh, the Southern Legion and a lot from Inter-Miami supporters groups. You know, they, they, they had some fans in attendance they had a noisy group there was actually an incident with some chicago fire fans uh i won't say the majority it was like three chicago fire fans that that caused a little bit of a ruckus and there was a bit of an incident there so i took the game in from there for much of the 90 minutes not the entire but for much of it and you know they they definitely made their presence felt they're definitely making noise as they usually do so kudos to southern legion and inter miami supporters groups i think there might have been also been a few members from vice city so shout out to them as well but nonetheless nonetheless the fans turned up. Inter Miami did not. Inter Miami, the team, did not. Now I think part of it is on the game plan because watching that game, I had no idea what Inter Miami was trying to do with the ball. I had no idea. So they had ten days. You can say that their sharpness was affected, that their rhythm was affected, one hundred percent. Phil Neville after the game chalked it up to some inexperience and the team being young. I don't really buy that because Gonzalo Higuain's not young. Pozuelo's not young. Gregory's experience, Gene Mota has some experience, DeAndre Yedlin and Kieran Gibbs are experienced, Nick Marsman's experienced, yes, there's young players in the overall roster, but I don't really fully buy that the inexperience is the reason why they came out and struggled there. Now, because that, 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 that wasn't evident on Tuesday when they played the Columbus crew. I think that the game plan, whatever the game plan was, and I tried to ask Gregory post-game, I was the only one, I mean, obviously that the, the, they did the Zoom call, but I was in the room, the only media member in the room, uh, to ask questions and and I asked Gregory with I think with the first question of his his part what the game plan was and he didn't give a direct answer but from what we could see what was the game plan Jose do you know what the game plan was could you tell what the game plan was because I couldn't tell what the game plan was I had no idea no. what they were what they were trying to do and that to me again this game against the crew they made changes because the game plan the initial game plan the initial formation the initial strategy did not work so they had to change the tactics and they had to change the formation so that's something that has to be addressed because you can't you were able to adjust in the game against the Columbus crew you weren't able to adjust against the Chicago Fire and you're not always going to be able to adjust and push the right buttons and make everything okay after uh not a great start so i think that's definitely a part of it i think another part of it just to just to keep going here is Indiana Vasilev starting now I don't want to single out one player because almost nobody played well in this game for Inter Miami, essentially. Bosuelo looked poor. Robert Taylor was non-existent. You know, it just wasn't a good game. It wasn't a good game, by and large, for anybody. And I'm not trying to pin this on Indiana Vassal, but I did say when I tweeted on Sunday that I did say I would talk about this topic. 
Indiana Vasilev has been with Inter Miami for two seasons now on loan. He has scored a combined five goals in those two seasons. He has zero assists in two seasons. In a league in which they give out stats for assists because of secondary assists like candy. So Indiana Vasilev has a proven record with Inter Miami of not being able to be all that threatening in the final third. And it's not like he's played very little. He has gotten ample opportunities to play in both seasons. And I don't think he's all that dangerous, and I think the numbers back that up. And I don't blame him for being the player that he is. Clearly, you know, he's been critical that he's not all that effective in the final third, that he needs to be better and sharper, make better decisions. But if he continues to get starts, that's not on him. You know, and you can only expect him to be him. It's on the coaching staff to acknowledge that and recognize that and address that. I don't think it's a surprise that we saw Ariel Lasseter against the Columbus Crew. Why did we not see Ariel Lasseter against the Chicago Fire? I think that's that's a big question. Now, I don't know if Ariel Lasseter's presence would have completely changed the course of this game, but I think Ariel Lasseter has proven to be much more dangerous, much more lethal. I don't think it's a coincidence that Ariel Lasseter is involved in the lead-up to the first goal against the Columbus Crew, while Indiana Vasilev struggled against the Chicago Fire. And I think that falls on Fulham and the coaching staff because Vasilev just has not shown to offer all that much in the final third as an attacking player. Look, his two goals this year, the only two goals he has scored, they came in that substitute cameo against Minnesota United where he turned the game around, but he did so as a substitute. In all the other starts that he's had, and I have to pull up the stats, he just has not produced. And again, I'm not trying to focus just in on Indiana Vasilov. I think it's about the decision-making from the coaching staff. They they have to make the best decisions possible across the board. And I, I think... When you see the numbers he's put up and you see the numbers Ariel Lasseter has put up, I think it's pretty clear who needs to be starting there and who needs to be starting much of the rest of the way if both are healthy. And guess what? Ariel Lasseter was healthy for this game because he came off the bench against the Chicago Fire. But anyway, anything you want to add there with regards to Vasilev, Lasseter, anything at all? No, I, I would agree with you. I would agree with you. And um, I think the only reason why they brought him back is because at, at that time they, they needed one more winger. Sure, they needed a winger. And, but and, that doesn't mean he should be starting at this point in the season when he's clearly well, shown he can't. he's not producing. Yeah, absolutely. And at, and at that point, I, I, I guess they thought, you know, this is a guy that we know. I mean, it, it's a guy that we know what he can do. And it might not be, you know, the best winger in the league. But they knew exactly what they were getting. And maybe that's 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 a decision Obviously, you but know, that's, but listen, but let's, let's let's avoid. Let's, I can understand why they brought him back, but the continuous start that's on Phil Neville and his staff. Because, yeah, here, here's the stat would, here's the stat yeah. 41 games played in two seasons with Inter Miami, 18 starts. So he's he's been a spot starter, five goals in those 41 games, zero assists in those 41 games. Clearly, clearly, he just does not give you a whole lot consistently in that final third. He works hard, he's an effort guy, he has some speed. Tactically, he's not he's not a he's not a bad player. But in terms of that final product in the final third, it's just not there. And at this point, Phil Neville has said it, and we all know it, Inter-Miami needs to attack, and they need to score goals, and they need to be threatening. And Indiana Vasilev just isn't that compared to Ariel Lasseter. Like, Ariel Lasseter is better than him at this point in their careers. And Ariel Lasseter is older, more experienced. So, you know, maybe Vasilev, when he's Lasseter's age, will be better. I don't know. We'll see. Probably not, in my opinion. But... You know, I think that's this is these are these are moments, these are decisions that the coaching staff need to do better with. That they have to make sure they get these right to avoid slow starts, to avoid potential falling into holes, and and then really being up against it, especially in this stretch run. But 
Sorry, Jose, continue with, with that thought. No, and the last thing that I wanted to say is that, to be fair, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't, he hasn't shown anything that that would make me think he he would be a player that I can judge by the assist that he collects in the season. I don't think he has that in him. I think you know he's basically a one v one guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an effort guy. He runs a lot, um, and, and and I think you know, the best best chance of him being successful is is for him trying to finish a player rather than set up a teammate. Uh, I, I just I just haven't seen that quality in him. So, um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I honestly, I, I don't see how he gets minutes over Tater in that position or over Lassiter. I, I just, I just don't see it. I, I agree with you. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. Maybe something happens in, in training that, you know, when we leave, <laughs> he, <laughs> he turns it up. Hey, that, I mean, that, yeah. I casos, no? Jose, I casos. There are cases, <laughs> there are cases where there are players and there, you know, you can find videos on YouTube of coaches saying that there are players that in training, man, they tear it up and they look like they're ready for the game. And that leads to the coaches being like, all right, I'm starting him because he tore it up during training this week. But then there are players that perform well in training, and then there are gamers. And there are guys who maybe don't perform as well in training, but when the game happens, when the lights are on, when the pressure's there, they perform. And there are players that maybe don't perform as well when the lights are bright or at their brightest. So, you know, I don't know if, you know, there's something tactically. I don't, I, I don't know what led to Vasilev starting over Lasseter. Uh, I don't know if it's an el nuevo engreído de Phil Neville, the new spoiled one of, of Phil Neville. That's said with tongue in cheek, but I think I I agree with you. I don't think he should start any of the remaining games if everybody's healthy and available. Will he or will he not? We'll see. I don't I don't rule Phil I don't rule it out that Phil Neville could start Indiana Vasilev again. Even though I think it's pretty clear that Ariel Lasseter is more dangerous uh, of the two, and that Robert Taylor is more talented. Of if you're comparing Vasilev to Taylor, but anyway, last thing I wanted to touch on in this game, which I asked Phil Neville about off cameras, was about the third goal that Inter Miami gives up. Inter Miami's on a counter attack, I mean, excuse me, on a corner kick, trying to find the equalizer late on, and it's cleared to safety. The Chicago Fire hit on a lightning quick counter attack, and John Duran races in towards goal, and Joven Jones, who had been brought into the game as a substitute, who was the last man, whose responsibility it is. To put pressure on the ball, put pressure on the attacker, never does so. He stays in the middle, and John Duran scores past Nick Marsman with relative ease. Very similar, almost carbon copy to the goal that Luis Diaz scored for the Columbus crew in the previous game when Damian Lowe stayed central, and he failed to put pressure on Luis Diaz, and that allowed Luis Diaz to race in and score the tally that made it 1-0 for the Columbus crew in that victory at home for the Ohio side. So I asked Phil Neville about that, and we saw two similar plays, two similar games, back-to-back matches, and he, you know, he agreed, and he said, you know, as a former defender, you know, at some point you have to put pressure. The ball becomes the most important thing, as opposed to the man, and that, you know, Inter Miami players failed. To, he, he didn't use these words, but he said, you know, I'm some, I'm paraphrasing. They failed to react properly on those sequences. Clearly, that has to be addressed. Hopefully, he did address that, and hopefully, it's been addressed because. They can't give up goals like that. If you have a guy running towards goal, and I get you want to cover the middle, but you've got to put out the fire. Like Phil Neville told me, the ball becomes the most important thing. The pressure has to be applied to the dribbler. Don't Can't just let him race in on goal, unscathed, untouched, and with a free shot. But anyway, 
We'll leave it there in terms of the game. Jose, very quickly, it's time to bring out our calculator. Saca la calculadoras because we need to talk about the playoff chances. Inter Miami remains two points out of a playoff spot with four games left. And yesterday, even before the game, we had a heated and healthy discussion with other members of the media and our colleagues in the press box. Jose, in your opinion, is Inter Miami destined for a playoff spot or are they dreaming? Is Yes, it's two points, but given the overall scenario, the overall situation, the schedules, everything... Do you see Inter Miami making the playoffs? Yes, they can make the playoffs. I think we both agree that they can make the playoffs. But do you think that they will? Yesterday, we both, before the game against the Columbus Crew, we both said no. Afterwards, they won. They shortened the gap. What are your thoughts now? No. I say no. No playoffs this year. Um, I I was talking to, to you. I think so, yes. Um, before the game, and I said they they have. I don't think they have a chance. I don't think they'll make the, they'll make it. If if for some reason they end up in the playoffs, it, it all starts tonight. Referring to to last night, they needed to win that game to stay in the in the race. If you know, if for some reason Columbus had came out with three points out of last night last night's game, I think that that would have been it. That would have sealed it. Without, yeah, without a doubt. But. Um, I think, you know, there's obviously a chance mathematically for them to make it, but realistically I don't think there's a chance. I just I just don't why? see it. I why? think they, tell me why. Because they basically have to win three out of the next four. And I, I don't see that happening. Now why do they have happen- to win three out of the next four? Explain that because we had a heated debate and a healthy debate with a colleague about that. Because I agree with you. Before last night I said Inter Miami needs to win four out of five. Four out of these last five to make the playoffs. After that loss to the Chicago Fire, which I think I was trying to make that point, but then I got sidetracked and I didn't make the point, that after that game, uh, you know, I spent time with Inter Miami fans after I did the post-game interviews and uploaded the videos and, and, and did all the, the work I had to do post-game. I spoke to several Inter Miami fans that had traveled, and I said, do you think Inter Miami makes the playoffs? And it was pretty split. The, the feeling was pretty split. The opinions were split. Some Inter Miami fans said yes, they still were optimistic that you know a win on Tuesday would set them back on track. Others were like, no, it's probably not happening. It's too big of a hole now, losing a game against the Chicago Fire that, yes, Inter Miami hasn't been great on the road this year, but not many people expected that type of performance and 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 the loss. So, I agree with you. Yesterday I said that I think Inter Miami needs to win four out of the five. They've won one. They, I think they still need to win three. Because they have to win well, at least one more, right, to close the gap. Yes? Let's, so we can do the math. Yeah. So we can sacar al calculadoras, bring out the calculators for our listeners. So they need to win at least one more to, to jump in front of the Columbus crew, assuming the Columbus crew lose, on, you know, the next game, their next game. Okay. Then you have to assume that they're going to have to maintain that difference, right? They'll have a one-point difference over the Columbus crew. They'll have to maintain that. Now, there are other teams. You could talk about FC Cincinnati. You could talk about Orlando. I think Orlando's playing right now. I'm not sure what their score is. Um, but there, there are other teams. So Inter-Miami could, in theory, doesn't necessarily need to be the Columbus... Doesn't need to surpass just the Columbus group. But anyway, let's just do it for, for math's sake. If if they pass the Columbus crew this weekend, they beat these United and, uh, and, and the Columbus crew lose to the Portland Timbers... Okay, well, then you still have to maintain that difference. You still have to win probably at least one more game, definitely one more game, probably two. 
in my opinion. So that's why we think they need to win four out of the last five. You could probably slip up at least once here. I don't think the Columbus crew are going to go on a four-game winning streak. So, But you need outside help. And Inter-Miami just this season to me, and I think to you as well, has just not shown that they can go on that type of consistent winning streak. Maybe they pull it out in the most important moment of the season. And if they do, they will deserve all the credit in the world for doing so and making the playoffs if that's what happens. But objectively, I just don't see Inter-Miami flipping a switch and becoming this very consistent team all of a sudden. I think, especially when the schedule, you know, yes, they'll be be at home for two more games, but playing Orlando, playing Montreal, those aren't easy opponents. I don't even think the Toronto FC game away in Canada, I think that's a very challenging game as well. I thought the game against Chicago was a very winnable one. I think the one against Toronto is a very difficult and tricky one, so... I, I think that's the game, Franco. I think that the game against Chicago, that I think that's the game that we're going to go back. Uh, and even even right now, think about it. If you have three points, because actually, you know, from that game, even a draw would have been okay, I guess, but not what you needed. You needed to get three points. And, and we thought it was if, a winnable game, right? I thought it was a winnable game. I said it on the podcast yeah, last week. I, I thought it was a winnable game. They, sh- they should have gone. I mean, they, they should... Three points in that game should be part of a plan, um, and so um, I just I just think that game is going to be it's going it's going to be very important in the end result. But I, I my thought with you know the the playoff situation for Inter Miami is that um, I don't even see the DC United game as an easy game for them because you know with them playing the Chicago Fire, Chicago Fire they needed to be aggressive as well because they they were. They are still in, in, in the race. DC United, they are not in the race anymore. So they have no pressure at all. No pressure at all over the weekend. And yes, they are a bad team. But, you know, you want to gain some momentum if you're Wayne Rooney towards the end of, uh, of the season. And so um, they're playing with no pressure. Inter-Miami, Inter- they have to be aggressive because a draw is not a good result for them against DC United. So, you know, they're going to leave room behind. I don't see it as an easy, easy three points for them. And if I'm telling you that it's not an easy three points for Inter-Miami against DC United, I mean, it would be really inconsistent for me to tell you that, yes, they're going to go to Toronto and they're going to get three points. They're going to face Orlando City in, in Fort Lauderdale and they're going to get three points because Orlando City will, will most likely as well be in, in the race and that their Montreal is going to come to Fort Lauderdale and they're just going to be okay giving away three points to enter Miami. Wow. So, so I have some, some news to share with you while you say that Orlando city lost tonight to Atlanta United one to zero in Orlando. Another and, and good result for inter Miami. That, that brings uh, Atlanta United a little bit closer as well. Yes. Atlanta United is now level on points with inter Miami at 39 in ninth place. <laughs> But they, but they have a game, but they have a, they, uh, Inter Miami has a game, or sorry, yes, Inter Miami has a game in hand, right? So Atlanta's played 31 games, Inter Miami's played 30. So, yeah. And that's the Orlando City game. That's the Orlando City game that right. they're missing, that they will play October 5th. So, you know, it's, I think we talked about this when, when they were in that stretch where they got, um, back to back wins again against Toronto, Toronto and, and New York City, and they they were in fifth place, if I'm not mistaken, fifth place, yes. 
And at that point, I said, you know, you're in fifth place, but yeah, it's early. You don't have to overreact to getting two wins. I think we're in a similar scenario. You don't have to overreact to, you know, you're still in the race, but you have to understand that it's a long shot. It's just a long shot. You know, it's, it's, it's possible, though. Point. It's possible. It's possible. It's possible. Right now, possible. Let's, let's look at the table. Let's look at the table. Right now, Orlando City, fifth place, 42 points, 30 games played. Cincinnati, 42 points, 30 games played. Columbus, 41 points, 30 games played. Inter-Miami, 39 points, 30 games played. Atlanta, 39 points, 31 played. New England, 38 points with 31 played. We'll leave it there because Charlotte has 35 from 30. They're still mathematically alive, but it's a tougher, tougher task for them so it's possible for Inter Miami but it's just going to take the type of consistency that's been elusive this year and I just don't see that happening I don't see that happening you know maybe in a few weeks we'll be here eating crow and we will say we got it wrong Inter Miami did it great and hey that would hey listen we would have a playoff game to talk about we would have a playoff game to analyze and cover and that would be great for us on the media side oh yeah so so a hundred percent, a hundred percent. But if we're being objective, or if I'm being objective, and I'm telling you what I really think, I just don't see Inter Miami rattling off those those wins. I just don't see them doing enough. Right. But but listen, tonight's result helps them tremendously. Helps them tremendously. Gives them more chances, more odds of making the playoffs. Jose, very quickly, because I have two more questions for you. I know I was trying to make this pod not as long, but we're going long. It's all good. If we did football after dark. On Tuesday to Wednesday, we're doing Miami Total Football Radio after dark on Wednesday to Thursday. So, Jose, how many points does Inter Miami get from these last four games? Uh, right, good question. Let's let's do it game by game. Um, I think from this United, I think they'll get one. Wow, okay, yeah. a draw. So that's a gut punch, yeah. but okay. I don't think they win there. Um, what's next? Go, go, let's go Toronto. game by game. Next game, Toronto. Away to Toronto. No points. Zero no points. points wow. Okay. Yeah. Then it's Orlando. Yes. Am I right? Yes. Then home. it's Orlando. I think they win that one. Okay. I think they can win that. One. All right. So four points uh, from from three games. And um, I think it it will be a draw against um, Montreal. So five points from three games. Five. They they only lose one yeah. of those three, or one of those four. Excuse me. That puts them on. Got your math. 44 points. Mm, yeah, probably won't be enough. Because if Orlando would win one more, that puts them at 45. Cincinnati wins one more, that puts them at 45. Columbus wins one more. If they're final four, that would put them at 44. Oof. I think... It's tough, man. I think they beat DC this weekend. I think they beat DC. And I thought they would beat Chicago, so maybe I'm, I'm you know, uh, I'm being a fool. Uh, again, to expect them to go and, and beat the inferior opponent on the road, but I think they beat DC. I think they keep it interesting. Toronto is a tough one. That's 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 a very key game for the rest of this. Is that could really sink them or lift them? And I don't see them winning there. They could get a draw. I just don't see them beating Toronto with their with their Italian DPs and at home. I just don't see it. Now Toronto won't have much to play for, but I just I, I that type of game concerns me for Inter Miami, especially on the road especially against a team that has high-quality DPs. Yes, Inter Miami just beat Toronto um, at home, but Inter Miami's one team at home and a completely different team away. So I have questions about that game. Then they play Orlando and Montreal. We won't know the motivations behind each team, whether they're qualified or not, but to say that they just get six points to close out the season, I think that's still a tough ask against that level of opposition. So 
I don't know. I, I did the exercise last week. I won't do the exercise this week. Just wanted to hear your input. So I just, again, it's possible, certainly doable, but I just don't think they get it done. Last thought, Jose, very quickly so that we at least, you know, touch on the game a little bit more against DC United on Sunday at Audi Field. What is the key to the game for Inter Miami? What do they have to do to pull out three points in that one? Five o'clock kickoff need, on Sunday. What, what do they have to do? They, they need to find a way to keep the energy that they showed in the second half against Columbus. I think for, for me, Inter Miami is a team based on energy. If they are able to show um, that sense of urgency that was active in the second half against Columbus, they have an opportunity. If they are passive, if they score early and think that's enough and then they can play defense for the rest of the game, they are going to get in trouble. They have to be aggressive. They have to score. I would say if you can score two goals in the first half, go ahead and do it. Do not let DC United believe that they can win that game. You have to, uh, at some point, especially in this game, you have to let DC United know, I am a better team and I am going to win this game. If DC United is led to believe that they can actually win, even when they know uh, what, what they're going through in, in the season, that they are the last place in the conference, then you'll be in trouble. So I think that's it comes down to energy. Okay, for me, very quickly, I will say that I don't think it comes down to energy, but I, I'll touch on what you touched on and something Phil Novel touched on in the post-game press conference on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. They have to be attack-minded and be aggressive and take risks from their onset. They don't need to be overly concerned about giving up spaces in behind and being cautious. And You've got to go for it, man. You've got to go for it. Phil Neville... Coaching staff, they've got to go for it. Come up with a game plan that has Inter Miami looking as aggressive as they have uh, in spurts for much of these last few weeks or for a lot of these last few weeks. And yes, you'll be on the road. It's a different dynamic, but you have to try to be that aggressive side. You can't be the side we just saw against Chicago Fire and you can't be the side we saw against the Columbus Crew at home in that first half. Push those numbers forward, throw numbers into the final third, and live with the results. If that doesn't, if that, if you fall short, you fall short. But at least you went for it and you took the risks. Continue to do that. That's my key to the game. By the way, it is of note, and this is something that I was able to to break as I landed in Chicago. I landed in Chicago. My phone had signal again, and spoke to a few sources. Damian Lowe has suffered a knee injury. He had, you know, obviously has missed both the Chicago Fire loss and the winning against Columbus Crew. He's still a question mark for that game against DC United. So we might see him a Bika and Ryan Saylor again. And if the two youngsters can hold up once again, it's a big challenge. But if they can hold up once again, Inter Miami stands uh, a decent chance at getting three points. We'll see how it goes. We'll see what happens. But let's take a very quick break. We'll come back for a very short Q&A session, our final thoughts, and we'll wrap up the show after that. everybody very short q and a time because we've gone long on this pod obviously we had to recap two games as opposed to one not normally what we do but given the tight turnaround that's what we were faced with so the only question that we will tackle on this week's pod comes from endo 
And he says, what all did Mensa say before the game? If you could provide clear details and not leave anything out, would be cool. Okay, Ando, I've got your back. I've got you covered. This is what Jonathan Mensa said to media. And you can read it on the Columbus Dispatches article. Is the preview match. So Mensa said this to multiple media members. But if you want to read it, you know where you can find it. The Columbus Dispatch has it in their pregame article. We can keep the ball better, Mensa said. We can make them chase us. Obviously, we all know Iguain doesn't want to do that. So the more we make them run, the more we make them run, him and Alejandro Pozuelo, it will be better for us. Take our chances. We just we won just 1-0 against them. We had a few chances where we could go up 2 or 3-0, but also be aware of their counterattacks. They've got some quick players going forward, like DeAndre Edlin and Ariel Lassiter. Our rush defense needs to be a lot better. So again... He did not say anything, end quote. He did not say, Mensa did not say anything, wow, like, oh, wow, what a what a criticism of Higuain. But, you know, when you're a coach and you're looking to add a little bit of motivation, even if it's only 2%, Jose, then something <laughs> so, something like that can be used to try to help motivate. And, and you know, maybe it did. Maybe it did. We've already talked about that. But that that's it. I don't know, Jose, you have anything to add? If not, we're closing the Q&A session very quickly. No, I just I, I that to me that's not enough for Wayne. I I think he, uh, I think I've heard in, uh, worse than that uh, playing in the Sunday League um, a few years ago. <laughs> so no, that that wouldn't bother me at all. Okay, all right. Well, then that does it for the Q and A session. That's our shortest one ever. And by the way, I love how Jose. I'm like Jose. You have anything to add there? He says no, and then he adds something. Just, just love it, love <laughs> yeah, it, sure. love it, love it. I, 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 Island Jose. Is is incredible his island Jose isms. Okay, Jose. Not a lot. Hey, not a lot. <laughs> Jose, do you have a final thought you want to share? If you do, go for it. I'll share mine after that, and we'll close out the show after that. By the way, uh, Edison Escona was recalled from his loan to Locomotive, or wait, El Paso Locomotive. So he's back with Inter Miami. Not clear on the details as to why. I'm working on finding out. But Jose, your final thoughts. Uh, final thought is on. Um... Uh, Honduras, uh, Argentina, big matchup coming up next week to South Florida. I can't wait for that game. Um, hopefully, and, I'm, and this is my final thought, just because I don't know if I'm going to be able on the pod next week. But you know, um, just can't wait for that matchup. Tickets are almost sold out for that game. It should be a, a beautiful night here in South Florida. So hopefully, um, a lot of uh, Inter Miami fans will be able to go to the game and enjoy Messi. That could be the last time that Messi comes to South Florida with the Argentina national team. So should be a lot of fun. But maybe not the last time in South Florida if he signs with Inter Miami at some point in the near future. He'll play for Inter Miami, but you know, at that point his career will be not I mean, not as relevant as it is right now. Especially, you know, before the World Cup. So that should be a lot of fun. It'll still be pretty relevant if he comes to MLS. There'll be a lot of eyeballs on him. Not, maybe not as much. He's not playing Champions League, whatever, whatever, but still would probably be pretty pretty relevant in my opinion. Okay, what two months before the World Cup in Argentina is a favor to uh, win it? I mean, there's fine, no fear. Okay, setup. fair, fair, fair. Okay, all right. You you got that one. Final <laughs> my, my final thought is on, obviously, I said I traveled to Chicago. It was my first time traveling to Chicago in a few years. Last time I went to Chicago, I was only there for a couple days. So it was my first, like, real, like, Chicago proper trip. Uh, I mean, I was only there for a couple of days too, but I, I did more sightseeing and tourist, touristy stuff this time than I did last time where I was only there for a couple of days and I didn't do much. Uh, it was it was cold. It was the winter. So I didn't, I didn't do a whole lot. 
So it was my first trip in Chicago where I got out and, and saw the scenes since 2009. So we're talking 13 years. And I have to reiterate, and I know this is a controversial take, and I know people that made it this far into the pod will probably tweet at me and say that I'm wrong or that maybe some will agree. Closely, I don't even know what your thoughts are. Deep dish pizza is better than New York style pizza. I like Chicago style pizza better than New York style pizza. I know people say it's not pizza, it's a pie, it's this, it's that, it's a stew, it's too sloppy, it's too saucy. It has a lot more cheese. I'm a cheese guy. Give me Chicago deep dish. I love Chicago deep dish. That's all. That's it. That's my final thought. It's on pizza. So we will. This leave. is really interesting because to me, pizza is pizza. I I, I mean, I don't, I don't see any difference. But I mean, I hold add on, pineapple. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm, is that a crime? I, I, no, I, I love. Like hey, I like pineapple on pizza. That, I, okay. no, no hate on that. No, I know some people dislike that. I know some people here will probably now tweet at you and say, "Oh, wow, how, how dare you? How could you be so blasphemous?" But listen, hold on. Well, you, you can't say all pizza. pizza. You can't say all pizza is pizza because it's like, it's no, no. It's like, listen. I, I'm not saying I hate New York style pizza. I love New York style pizza. I devour New York style pizza. But I think Chicago deep dish is better. It's like saying, like you did or like you do. You know. We all love football, but does that mean that we think the Champions League is the same as, or the CONCACAF Champions League is the same as the UEFA Champions League? No. It's pizza. But it's you, like, you know, it's soccer, offered. it's football. You can still enjoy one more than the other, right? You can still enjoy one more than the other. I enjoy the Chicago Deep Dish more. Maybe it's because it's harder to find or harder to get or a good, finding a good one or a, a nice one here in, in Florida because we're closer to the East Coast, obviously, or we are on the East Coast, as opposed to, to you know, in Chicago and the Midwest. So maybe it's that there's an element of that at play, but I do like Deep Dish better. Just my... I don't know. I just, I just have to get updated on my food information because just a few days ago, I was watching somebody eat an apple, and then somebody else came over and said, what type of apple is that? And I'm like, what do you mean? It's a red apple, and then... There the are different types apple, of apples, Jose. It's a green apple. Apples are red, or green? <laughs> no, no, no. That's not true. See, you, you, you. We have to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're right. We have to brush you up. Come on, uh, apples and pizza. There's, there's not a big deal. Just have an apple, have a pizza. They're all the same. Not a big deal. Uh, I disagree, but okay. By the way, I have to share this with the listeners because if you didn't listen to the Twitter space, this is a second final thought. I'm going to share very, very quickly. Jose and I were in the press box at halftime during the lightning delay, and we were looking at the banners at the very empty Dry Pink Stadium, and we were looking at the supporters group's banners, and we were like, look, I was telling him, look, Southern Legion, Vice City, Ciudad del Vicio, La Legión del Sur, and he goes, Ciudad del Vicio? Is that a new supporters group? And I look at him, Jose clearly speaks fluent Spanish, and I just look at him, deadpan, and I'm like, that's Vice City in Spanish. And the reaction of Jose, his eyes like coming to the realization that that's what it meant, and like his facial expressions just changing in like split seconds, it was hilarious. I mean, I wish I, I had video of it to share it with you all. I did share it on the Twitter space if you hadn't heard it. Well, there you have it. If you have heard it, well, you can enjoy it again because clearly you can hear him chuckling. He knows that that was very foolish of him, but we had a good laugh about yes. it. But anyway, yes. all right. Thing. Yes. Okay. So that, about it. 
Yeah, we did laugh about it. But that does it for this week's show. We've gone very, very long. We hope you've enjoyed it. We're back on Apple Podcasts as regularly scheduled. No more SoundCloud issues, thank goodness. So thank you guys again for being patient with us. And again, apologies for last week's inconvenience and issues. We'll be back again next week to recap the game against DC United ahead of the international break for Inter-Miami. So for Jose Armando, a.k.a. Alan Jose, I am Franco Penizo. You have been listening to Miami Total Football.